Are you excited to be here this morning? All right, I can tell you I am too, but I also realized that that didn't sound like everybody in the room. So some of you may not be excited to be here, that's okay, I think that's going to change. But if it does that, let me just give you a little exercise we can do, something that I picked up growing up in church, because as a kid you you didn't always want to be in church, right? But here's a little exercise I picked up, and, and it's a mental exercise, and you can use this all in your life. If you're ever at a place where you really don't want to be, here's all you have to do. Picture yourself in the worst possible place doing the worst possible thing you can imagine, and then all of a sudden the place that you're actually at seems really amazing and really great. So today, here's the exercise. Some of you, I want you to think about the worst possible place you can imagine. For some of you, you are sitting in the DMV right now, right? Anybody in the DMV? I am pretty convinced the DMV is God's way of showing us what hell will be like. So that hopefully we walk in there and we say, I can't deal with this for all of eternity. I need to come to God. And the DMV is crazy because there's always like two types of people in the DMV. There's those people that have been there for hours and they've just got that glazed over look. Like they're just holding out, please call my number. Please call my number. They, they don't know how long they've been there or where they're at. And then there's others that are on the, the edge of their seat. They're like the verge of a breakdown. You know, like, and you always can tell those because no one's sitting next to them. You know, because they don't want to get in a fight or something. So maybe today, you could be at the DMV this morning, right? For some of you, maybe it's uh, heading on the Belt Parkway to New Jersey at 5 p.m. Yes. And inevitably, you have the car in front of you that, despite the fact that traffic is not moving, they love to slam on their gas and then slam on their brakes over and over and over again and try to switch lanes to get a little bit ahead despite not moving anywhere, right? And you're in front of, you're behind that annoying driver and you feel like your life is just never going to end, you're never going to get there, and oh my goodness. Well, imagine yourself this morning. You could be on the Belt Parkway driving to New Jersey, right? But let me share with you my most horrible place and my most horrible thing that will make everything in life seem a little sweeter when you imagine yourself doing this. For me, it's putting together Ikea furniture. (laughs) Anybody else had this experience? Okay, I found out about Ikea when I moved from Missouri to Long Island. Missouri, my wife and I lived in a three-bedroom house. We moved to a junior one-bedroom apartment. So I never knew there was such thing as a junior apartment. But we moved into that, and my wife, being the amazing woman she is, was convinced we could move a three-bedroom house into a junior one-bedroom apartment. So naturally, when you need to move a lot of junk into a small space, where do you go? Ikea. Yes. So I go to Ikea, and I'm like, wow, this is pretty cool. You walk through, everything's set up beautifully. Like, they have designers that set up the rooms, you know, and, and living rooms and dining rooms and kitchens, and then it's like Swedish meatballs, which is kind of weird, but, you know, you're going through all this. It's like, wow, everything looks amazing. And my wife's picking out all this stuff. We've got to have this. We've got to have that. Look, at, look how good the display model looks. And we put it all in the car, and I'm, I think this is all great. And we get home, we bring it upstairs, and the torture begins. You open up an Ikea box, and everything from Ikea, whether it's a lamp or a couch, comes in a thousand and one pieces. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's a, it's a company policy. They're not allowed to make something that doesn't have a thousand and one pieces. It has to have at least that. It's one of their core values of their company. So you open up the box, and you start spreading everything out. And, of course, it barely fits in your apartment, which is why you shopped at Ikea in the first place. 
But you've got all this stuff, and you've got nuts and bolts and parts and all this stuff spread out, and, and you're just like, oh my gosh, you're thinking about what's going to come, and, and you start in the process, right? And this leads to a couple hours of heading into this. And then you open up the instruction manual. Because let's, let's be honest, the most manly man have to use the instruction manual with IKEA furniture. It's that much of, that crazy. And you open it up, and it's about the size of an encyclopedia, and it's in like 25 different languages. And English is always in the middle, so you have to search through all the other languages, you know. And you open it up, and you start the process, and two hours later, you're still going. And wives, let me just tell you, you don't help with this process. <laughs> all right? Because my wife is standing over me, and every time I put something on, she says, that doesn't look right. <laughs> That's not how the picture in the manual looks. And I'm like, woman, you know, go in the other room. And you realize you don't have another room, so go in the corner. So, so you finish after a couple hours putting this thing together. You're coming to the end. The, the, the end is a sight, and you have the picture of the display model in your head. And you, you pick this thing up, and here's what always happens with IKEA. You pick this thing up, and it's leaning to the left. The door is not on correctly. The knobs don't look right. You look down, and you see about five to ten pieces laying on the floor that are left over. And husbands, what do we do? We pick them up, throw those in the trash immediately because we can't let our wives see that there's leftover pieces that we forgot to put on somehow. But here's why I hate Ikea furniture because it never looks in your home the way it did in the display. It never comes together the way it looks in the display. And, and the way they intended it to look never is how it comes out. So it's always defeating to you. And this morning, I just want to encourage you with that to say we could all be in a small room right now putting together Ikea furniture, but we are not. We are here together, and what a beautiful time we get to have to worship God, open up His Word. Amen? Amen. There we go. Now, I'm going to tell you how this all connects, because it does. I have a super-duper spiritual title for you today for my message that's going to blow you away. And the title of my message is, Don't Treat God Like Ikea Furniture. All right? Do not treat God like Ikea furniture. If you've got your Bibles, you can open with me to John chapter 14, verse 15, and hold your spot there. We're going we're gonna to read that in a second. Um, I've had the, the privilege of being in full-time ministry, being a pastor for a little over six years now, which is not long compared to Pastor Henry or Pastor Steve, some of the other guys, but here's what I've started to see in my six years. I started to develop this bit of a tension inside of me the more and more, the longer I pastor. And, and here's the tension that develops. Is I'm reading this word, and I'm, and I'm looking at it, and I'm reading it, the message of Jesus and, and the Spirit and God and all that he's intended for his people. And in here, it looks to me like as I read it that, that God has intended when you become a follower of him that your life is to be transformed that your life is to be changed, that your life is to be enhanced. It's supposed to look different and be different and feel different than it was before you met Jesus. And I started looking at my own life and, and seeing how, how, uh, what an idiot I was before Jesus and how messed up I was and how changed I've been and, and all of that. And, and I just started to read this, and I'm like, man, this is incredible. You know, if, if this was the display model, this is a really, really good display model. But here's where the tension came from is the more and more I started to pastor and work with the church people in the church, I started to see that it didn't look like their lives were really matching up with this. It was like 
they, they seemed unhappy. They seemed miserable. They seemed like uh, their, their, their marriages were falling apart. Their relationships were falling apart. They, they were going through depression, anxiety. They were going through these deep struggles. They didn't know a way out. They were struggling with the same sin for years and years and years. They didn't ever share Christ with their friends because they were afraid. They didn't understand the word or God. People go to church for years and never grow in their understanding of who he is. It just seemed like people's lives didn't match up with this. And, and to me, it was the display model. What God had intended for us to do when we became followers of him was not what people were taking home and living out. And, and it just began to, to develop this tension within me, this desire to go, man, are we missing something? Are we missing something? And today, here's, here's what I believe the answer is, and we're going to look at it in the Word today. The answer is this. If we're not careful, when we follow God, we can be leaving out all these pieces on the floor. And our relationship with God, the way He intended it to be, will look nothing like that because we're leaving things out and neglecting things that He intended for us. And I believe today, and what we're going to talk about, that thing that we're neglecting is the Holy Spirit. And so today we're going to open up the Word. We're going to look at what the Bible tells us, and then we're going to have a time to seek after God and, and, and be filled this morning. So if you're with me, if you're ready, I'm going to have you do something the youth do. I need you to say, what, what? Okay, that was horrible. And don't worry, I think I see now why your kids say that you're not cool, okay? That made, you just made it pretty clear. Let's try one more time. If you're with me, say, what, what? Beautiful. There you go. All right. John chapter 14, starting at verse 15, it says this. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live. You will live also. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them is one who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and disclose myself to him. Judas, not as scared, said to him, Lord, what has happened that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him and will come to him and make our abode with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Let's pray. God, we thank you for today and this morning, this service. We thank you that we are so lucky and privileged and blessed to be able to come together and worship you. And I pray that you would open up our hearts, that we would have a spirit of authenticity and realness at looking at our lives today and saying, God, is what we're living out, is what we're bringing home match up to what you intended? Or is the display model so much better than what we're really living out? I pray that you would speak to our hearts today and that this, later on we would be filled and empowered and moved by your spirit as we seek after you. So thank you for all that you're going to do today. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, well today here's what I want to do. 
We're going to look at this passage and a couple others, and and here's my goal. I want to share with you today three things that I believe Jesus was teaching his disciples and preparing them for that apply to us. And it's not an exhaustive list, but I think it's three important things that you may be able to connect with today. And these are three areas that if we're not careful, we can leave out. And they can be the tools that are on the side of our relationship with God, and you can go through your whole life missing what he really intended for you to have. So three things. Number one is this. The Spirit will sustain you through temptation and hardship. The Spirit will sustain you through temptation and hardship. So in this this passage we just read, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he's coming to a place where he realizes that he's going to not be with them for that much longer. And soon he's going to die on the cross, and, and then he'll ascend into heaven. And they don't really understand all that's happening, but Jesus knows, and he's starting to prepare them for what's to come. And so he begins in this passage to talk to them about what's going to come after Christ, which is the Holy Spirit. It's this new thing, this new type of relationship that has never, ever happened before in the way that it happens now up until that point. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come, but it would be temporal. It would come on people for certain periods of time, on chosen ones like Moses and stuff. But the idea that what was coming was the Holy Spirit that would live and breathe inside of you forever was a new concept. And Jesus is starting to teach his disciples and talk to them about what's to come after he leaves them in human flesh. And the first thing that he hits on with them is the idea that the Spirit will sustain you through hardship and through temptation. In verse 16 it says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper, the word helper there, that he may be with you forever. Jump down, it says, he abides with you and will be in you. In verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Why is Jesus using terminology like that? It's because he knows pretty soon those disciples are going to face some pretty fierce persecution. In fact, you can flip forward a couple chapters in John, and he actually talks to them about persecution and the Holy Spirit. So Jesus knows what's coming. He knows what his disciples are going to face in temptation and persecution and hardship and trial. And he's letting them know that the Holy Spirit's going to come and will abide with you forever. He will be in you. He starts to use this language of comfort. That the Holy Spirit will be with you. And why is he using that language? It's because it's the idea when you go through trials and troubles, the Holy Spirit is going to be there to sustain you through it. And he's starting to speak that into his own disciples because he knows what's coming for them. We're going to flip over, if you would, in your Bible to Matthew chapter 3, verse 13 to 17. Matthew 3, verse 13 to 17. It says, Then Jesus arrived in Galilee at the Jordan, coming to John to be baptized by him. But John tried to prevent him, saying, I have need to be baptized by you, and you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answering him said, Permit it at this time, for, it, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he permitted him. After being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the waters, and behold, listen to this, the heavens were open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. And behold, a voice out of the heavens said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Chapter 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. See, it's an incredible passage when you read about the life of Jesus. In that story, this is before Jesus began his earthly ministry. And what did he do before he began his earthly ministry and before he was tempted? He was baptized in the Holy Spirit. Jesus himself, you say, well, Jesus was fully God. Why didn't he be baptized? Because he was also fully man. 
And he had temptations, he had struggles, he had uh, physical ailments, he got hungry, he got tired. You see all throughout the Bible, Jesus is praying and he says, give me strength, Lord, give me strength. He's always talking to God because Jesus was, was a man like you and I. He had the same struggles and the same issues. And so before Jesus set out to do all that God was going to do in him and through him, he needed to be baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. And before he stepped into the desert for a time of temptation and struggle, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Why? Because the Spirit of God will sustain you. I, I think there's a lot of us in here that we, we love Jesus, and we come to know Jesus, and we believe that he's our Savior. We love the grace aspect of it, and, and we all need the grace and it's like, oh great, God is my Savior. I get to go to heaven now. This is great. I don't have to go to the DMV for all of eternity, right? Now I'm going to go to heaven. But we miss this huge aspect, which God did not just save you so that you could go to heaven. God sent the Holy Spirit so that he could work in you so that your life right here and right now could actually be a great one. And that when you face trials and persecutions and temptations, and you will, that you do not have to do it on your own. That's one of the beautiful things about serving God and loving God. But so often we think that God's just there to save us, and then he, we're on our own, and it's all bets are off. And we try to face this stuff on our own. And what happens, we become bitter and miserable. We, we have struggles. We fall in temptation time and time again. We, we just we look at our life, and we're depressed, and we're down. It's like, man, I can't believe this. It's one thing after another. And all the while, God is saying, if you just come after me, I never intended for you to do this on your own strength. And we're going about our lives, and there's this piece of the Holy Spirit that's just sitting on the floor, just going, hey, I'm right here. Just pick me up. Let's go. Let's do this thing. I remember this, this became really true in my life, and this is why I love youth ministry, and I believe, I believe really this. If, if the church started rising up, and, and everybody started being better parents, better grandparents, and treating and, and being more intentional about the next generation, I think we would see an amazing shift. And, and here's why I believe that. My greatest evidence of seeing this lived out in someone's real life was my father. And my father, I grew up in the church, my father was a great man of God, very, very authentic and honest, okay? So he, didn't, he wasn't the man on the mountain pretending to be this, you know, he, we knew he struggled at times. And, and I remember a specific time in my life, we went through this horrible time where we had family friends that like stabbed us in the back and all this just crazy craziness. And I remember seeing my dad, he was depressed, he was down. I mean, it was like one of the, probably the worst thing that ever happened to him. And I remember thinking to myself as a kid, man, will he ever, will he ever be the same? Will he ever be the same? And, and, and here's what I saw my dad do. And this happened many times, but this was the worst. He would excuse himself and say, guys, I need to go and spend some time with God. And he would leave us, go to, by himself into his office or his room or, or go for a drive or somewhere and, and he would spend time with God, and literally he would come back a different person. He would come back with words of encouragement that were from the Lord. He would, he would sit down with his kids. He would start encouraging us, challenging us. It's going to be all right. God's got something for us. He would come back anointed, filled with the Spirit, and speak into our lives as children and his wife's life in a new and fresh way. And what I began to see as a kid is that here's what the Holy Spirit does. You can go in defeated, and you can come out a conqueror. You can go undefeated and come out a conqueror. There is no situation in your life, no matter how hard, that the Spirit of God will not give you the strength and the understanding and the ability to work through it. All that it takes is us getting on our face before Him and seeking after Him. And it's not a one-time thing. It's a daily 
thing. We've got to go after the Spirit of God and say, I need you. It has to be an utter reliance on the Holy Spirit. No matter what, I need you, God. Parents, I'm telling you, you live this out with your kids, they will see it. Don't talk about God and then live a miserable life because you never seek the presence of God. Let's talk about God in the totality of who he is. The Holy Spirit's there. Man, let's just go after him, and we're going to see generations after us change and transform, and they're going to see real faith lived out. So today, if that's you, if you've got a trial in your life, you've got temptation in your struggle, a hardship, we're going to challenge you at the end of the service. Let's go after the Spirit of God and pray that you will leave here a conqueror and change in a fresh way. You with me, church? No, you're supposed to say, well, what? Come on now. There you go. So number one, the Spirit sustains you through temptation and hardship. Number two, the Spirit reveals truth. The Spirit reveals truth. We're going to look down in, in verse 26 of John 14. It says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. So Jesus is telling his disciples here, this is how he closes out this little portion. He's telling his disciples that the Holy Spirit, one of the reasons it's going to come is to teach you and bring understanding and clarity to all that I've taught you. And if you read the Gospels, here's what you find. The disciples oftentimes had no idea what Jesus was talking about, right? For these great men of God that did amazing things, early on in their career, they kind of look a little bit like idiots, <laughs> Because Jesus would say stuff to them all the time, and they totally misunderstood. They didn't know what he was talking about. They didn't know what he was doing. And Jesus would say crazy stuff like, oh, you got to eat my flesh, drink my blood. And all these disciples would leave, right? They didn't totally understand the, the idea and the concept of Christ and God and all that he was doing. How could they? He's God. But Jesus says, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, and he's going to be the revealer of truth in your life. And all the things that I've taught you, all the things that you're going to learn, all of that unclarity is all of a sudden going to become clear because now you have a divine moving of the Spirit in your life and a divine speaking of truth into you. It's an amazing experience. I want to turn over uh, in, in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 through 13. And we can see Paul's talking about this a little bit in, in more detail. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 9 through 13. It says, but just as it is written, things which eyes has, eye has not seen and ear has not heard, and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for him, prepared for those who love him. Verse 10, but to us, God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. Hear that. The Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the Spirit of a man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. So Paul is saying that the Holy Spirit is the one that actually knows the thoughts and the ideas and understands God. He is the one that knows. So if we lack the Holy Spirit in our lives, what that's saying is we're going to lack the understanding of real truth in our lives. That's what the Bible is telling us. And that's why Jesus is telling his disciples, you've got to seek the Spirit because he's going to reveal truth to you. And here's why this is so important. I've seen this in my own life. My wife, an uh, amazing woman, has a crazy testimony, crazy story. She was born through an affair and grew up and went through uh, abuse as a child. And just grew up never feeling belonging to one side or another. And 
my wife, as it got older, when I met her, it didn't really seem to be a problem. I never really saw the effects of all that she had gone through in her life until one day when we first started ministry, uh, she just had a breakdown. And some of you who are on the women's retreat, you heard more of her testimony. Um, but she just had a breakdown and, and was at the bottom of what seemed to be an endless pit in her life. And I started to see one of the reasons why is because her perception of truth was totally distorted. She, she believed things about herself and believed things about God and the world that really were not accurate or true, but it was what she had been told and fed her whole life. And because of her circumstances, she thought certain ways. Because of what people had always spoken into her life, she believed she was worthless, believed that she was always the cause of problems, that everybody would always abandon her. She believed all of these different things, and it shaped everything about her worldview, everything about God, everything about everything. It shaped it. Why? Because she had this inaccurate truth in her heart. And no matter what I would try to say in, in earthly wisdom, you know, I could tell her, baby, no, I love you. Uh, I, I'm not going to leave. You're amazing. You're, it really didn't matter. It really didn't matter. The only thing, when we started to see breakthrough, the only thing I believe this was the work of the Holy Spirit in her life. And it was a process. It didn't happen overnight. But it was, a, it was a process of going after God and the Holy Spirit working in her life and beginning to speak truths and bring clarity to what was true and real in her heart and in her life. And things like what she thought about herself and how God valued her and her circumstance didn't define her and that she was worthwhile, she was important and other people's sin and mistakes is not a reflection of who she is and all these different types of things begin to speak truth into her life and her life begin to become transformed in a way that, that I've never seen. And, and, and not that she still doesn't have struggles, of course we all do, but my, my wife is literally a different person now than she was because of the effect of the power of the Holy Spirit in her life and speaking truth into her. Here, here, here's what I... There you go. There you go. The teenagers are shaking their head in the back. I hope you guys realize that, but... Here, here's what I know for, for this church this morning and for some of you in here. Nobody knows, nobody knows your issues or your lack of truth in your life, but you do. Some of you are really struggling because you believe lies about yourself. You believe lies about God. Some of you have no idea who God really is. You think he's like Zeus up there getting ready to throw a lightning bolt at you or, or something like that. You have misunderstandings and mistruths about God or mistruths about yourself, mistruths about other people. Some of you have misunderstandings and truths about what God wants for you and your life. And what I'm telling you today is you can study all you want and, and I believe in education. You can go to the best college in the world. But if you don't have the truth that only comes from the Spirit of God, you will always be lacking. And the only way to pick up that missing piece in your life is to get on your face and pursue Him. And say, Spirit, you've got to reveal to me the truth that only you know. If you have a hard time reading your word, if you don't understand it, man, Pray. Spirit, reveal this to me. This is not meant to not be understood. This was meant to be understood. Spirit of God, reveal to me. Pray to me. And as you study and as you begin to grow in your understanding of God and your understanding of yourself, you're going to see your life transform and God will use you in new ways. So let today be the start of something different. At the end, if, you, if that's you, if you need a spirit of truth in your life, we're going to invite you to come down to the altar and we're going to leave this place changed. Amen? Well, what? That was a test. Very good. All right. Number three, the Spirit empowers you for ministry. 
The Spirit will empower you for ministry. If we look at verse 23 in John, Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And he will come to him and make our abode with him. So Jesus is responding to his disciples, and what he says to them is, If you love me, you will what? Keep my commands. Exactly. Basically, what he's saying is, if you will love me, you will do what I've told you to do, right? So, you ever try that with your kids? If you love me, you'll clean your room. Don't try that. You'll be disappointed every time. But, but Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commands, right? So, what I tell you to do, what I've told you to do, do it. And that's a testimony of your love. It's not that... Uh, it's not that doing things gets you saved, but it's out of your love for Christ, out of your love for God, that you do what he's called you to do. And if you don't do those things, then you obviously don't love God. That's what he's saying. And what does God call us to do? He calls us to love him with all of our hearts and to go into the world and make disciples of all nations to reach people for him. He's called us to take this, what we have, and share it with everybody else. He's called us to do ministry. So he's facing these disciples, and here's what he tells them. If you love me, if you really love me, you're going to go and do ministry. But what does he end that with? He says, but I'm going to, let me just read it again so we get it. He says, but my father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. He's saying we're going to come and fill you. We're, we will be with you. We will be inside you. It's this, this essence of eternally existing with you in relationship. So he's saying, if you love me, you'll do my commandments, but I'm not expecting you to do it by yourself. I'm not heading out and leaving you high and dry. I'm going to send the Spirit of God that will be with you. He will be in you for all of eternity. He will equip you and empower you and give you all that you need to go do the ministry. But we wonder sometimes why we have a hard time doing what God's called us to do because meanwhile the Holy Spirit is on, on the floor. We've left him out and we're going, well, I just can't do that. I'm not good enough. I'm not this. I'm not that. God never intended you for, for you to be good enough or have all the abilities you need. He sent the Holy Spirit. Let's turn 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4 through 11. Paul says, now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are a variety of ministries and the same Lord. There are variety, varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, and to another the effecting of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. And listen to this. But... One and the same Spirit works all of these things, distributing them to each one individually just as He wills. So God is saying, I distribute gifts according to my will. So if you love me, you will do what I say, and I will give you the gifts you need to do what you say. God is taking ownership of the distribution of His Spirit in your life and the distribution of gifts that you need. What does that mean? Why is that important? It's important because he's saying, I know the plans, I know the ministry I have, and I will give you exactly what you need. So hopefully that's a little freeing to you today to know you don't have to have everything that you think you have to have. 
We make a lot of excuses sometimes because we look at our natural self. I can't talk to that person about Jesus. I can't share it with my friend or my family. I don't know what to say. I get sweaty when I talk to people. Okay, I, that, that was an exaggeration. I don't actually get sweaty. I was just... <laughs> Some of you guys are not going to give me a hug at the end of service today. But we come up with different excuses of why we can't. We look at our own gifts, our abilities, our talents, and we're like, man, I can't do that. I can't do that. We, we, we just feel like I'm not good enough Christian. I don't really know what to say. Uh, I don't know how this works. I don't know what to do. I can never, you know, I can never speak in front of people. I can never do worship. I can never go out in the streets and hand out water. I can never just love on people. I can't. We, we come up with all these reasons why we can't, and our life is so uninvolved in the idea of ministry. And if you really look at your life and assess your life, how many of us in here, if we're honest with ourselves, we lack a real ministry to do God's will? And that idea of if you love me, you will do my commandments, if we're honest, is lacking in our life. And the reason is, is because the Holy Spirit is on the side, and we've neglected to pick him up and say, God, I love you. I'm stepping out. You equip me. Give me all you need. Every Sunday, somebody gets up here and speaks a word. And I promise you, because I know most of the people that get up here and speak the word, it is only through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Nobody is a good enough speaker. Nobody is clever enough or smart enough or anything. Anything that God does in any service is through the power of the Holy Spirit. There we go. Well, what? If you're not convinced, I want to share with you one last story uh, um, that happened in my life. as an uh, amazing story. When we first started at our first church, we launched a college ministry, young adult ministry, pretty, pretty quickly. And one, one time we were going to a young adult retreat that was about three hours away. And I was driving the bus, and everybody else was in the back. And the way the vehicle was situated, I couldn't really talk to them, and they couldn't really talk to me. So I, I would just kind of uh, listen to worship music and praying, driving up there. And, um, and all of a sudden, as I'm driving, the Holy Spirit speaks to me. And he said, there was a girl on that trip named Caitlin. And I, never, I didn't really know her that well. Um, but the Holy Spirit sp spoke to me, and he said something very clear. He said, I want you to tell Caitlin that long ago I called her to ministry, and she has been running from it. And I have not forgotten what I called her to do. And then, and then so, so I'm like, all right. And then the Holy Spirit says, don't tell her now. I'll tell you when to tell her. And that was it. I'm like, okay. So I, I, I said, all right, well, I guess there's nothing else to do. So I just went on praying and worshiping. I said, oh, God will take care of her, right? So we go up, and the first day goes by, the retreat's a great day, night service. Second day comes, great day. The last night service comes, we're leaving the next morning. And the, the worship goes on, the preacher speaks a message, and, uh, and, and this is how he ends his message. He says, all right, I want you guys to hear from God tonight, so I don't want anybody moving around. He literally, I mean, he literally said, nobody get out of your seats and move, and I don't want anybody making a peep. And literally, as it gets dead silent in the room, and he finishes that, the Holy Spirit says, go now. I'm like, I start arguing with the Holy Spirit, of course. I said, God, I cannot go now. Didn't you just hear the pastor say? <laughs> he just said we're not allowed to get up and make noise, okay? So I cannot go now. And I start this battle with God for about 45 seconds. And I'm arguing with him. And, and literally, eventually, I'll tell you, the Holy Spirit will yell at you sometimes, all right? I, I can vouch for that. The Holy Spirit, I just felt like he yelled at me. He was like, go now. You know, so I'm, oh, man. I don't know if you've ever done that. You, you get up, the, the Spirit tells you to do something, you're just like, oh, you know. So I get up, 
And th- this girl, Caitlin, was sitting about four seats down from me, and she had one empty seat next to her. So I was like, all right, it's deadly quiet. No one's moving. I get up, I sit next to her. I lean over, and I said, I don't know what this means, but God told me to tell you, he called you to ministry long ago. You've been running from him, and he hasn't forgot that calling. As soon as I finished that last syllable, she burst out in tears in this deadly quiet setting. And I'm sitting there going, this is awkward. And so what does any great pastor do? I get up and go back to my seat. All right? I didn't know what to do. I mean, do you, is that a moment to put the arm around? Do you, I, I felt like I can't, I have nothing to say. I don't even know what's happening right now, you know? So I go back to my seat, and she's sobbing, and the, the service continues. And she comes up to, and talks to me after. And here's, here's what happened. Here's the incredible power when you submit yourself to the Spirit and all that he does. Is She said, God called me to ministry when I was young. And I really walked away from him. And she had gone to FIT in the city and pursued fashion. And she was just about graduating uh, that year. She was going to graduate. And she said, on this retreat, as I'm facing graduation, she said, I t- I've been praying this whole retreat, God, do you want me to go into full-time ministry? And she said, I have not heard a word from God this whole retreat. And I've just been asking him and asking him. And she said, right before you came, I literally was saying to God, you never speak to me, God. You never speak to me. You speak to everybody else, but you never speak to me. And she said, if you want me to go into ministry, you need to speak to me right now. And she said, literally when I said that is when you sat down and spoke that to me. And here's, here's what I realized, the craziness of the Holy Spirit. He knew that I was going to argue with him for 45 seconds, and he even took that into an account <laughs> when he was working out his timing. So, so here, here's, here's the reason why I tell you a story. Because that is a story that I can take absolutely zero credit for. The Holy Spirit was moving and working in a powerful way, and it was only through Him that He was working in people's lives. And church, what I'm telling you is, that should be a norm for us. Our lives should be filled and motivated and powered through, by the Holy Spirit, that we should be having supernatural things, encounters, and being led by the Spirit to do and say and go places all the time. And if we're not, we've got to ask ourselves why. Why is God not moving and working? It's not because he doesn't want to. It's because we're leaving him on the sidelines. And our lives are not looking the way he intended it to look. And if you're not convinced, read the book of Acts. Everything the disciples do, the apostles do, is motivated by the Holy Spirit. So today, as the worship team comes, it would be a a crime to have a message like this and to not end with a time of going after the Spirit of God. And I don't know where you're at today. Some of you may not even know if you believe in God today. And if that's you, that's okay. You can come forward, and I believe God will reveal himself to you. Some of you today in here may have at one time been baptized in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues, and you're like, hey, I'm good. And what I would tell you is you're not good. It's never intended to be a one-time event that carries you for the rest of your life. It was intended to be a daily pursuit of the Spirit of God. Some of you in here may have never been baptized in the Holy Spirit, and what I would tell you is there is something waiting for you that will change your whole life. Do not give up. Do not stop pursuing. But take today, and let's start pursuing, and let today be the beginning of your lifelong pursuit of the Holy Spirit working in your life. So no matter where you're at today, no matter what you're going through, no matter the trial, no matter the lack of truth and understanding in your life, 
or the lack of the empowerment to do ministry and all that God wants you to do, no matter where you're at today, there's one answer, and it's on our faces going after the Holy Spirit and then filling our lives in a fresh way. So here's what I want to do. Can we close our eyes for a moment? And I'm going to invite Pastor Henry and some others who are going to pray. And what I want you to do with your eyes closed is take a moment and let's really agree to be authentic and honest and not be embarrassed about where we're at, but let's be real about where we're at. And if you're here today and you realize and understand today, man, I need the Spirit of God. I need the Holy Spirit in my life. I am lacking. I am lacking. What I brought home, this walk with God that I brought home, this, this, it does not match up to the display model. It doesn't match up to what was really intended for me. And today, I can't leave this place. I refuse to leave this place without being filled with the Holy Spirit in a new and a fresh way, without being ministered to by the Spirit in a new and a fresh way. I refuse to get off my knees before God works in my life. And maybe you're in here, you're going through a trial. Maybe you're going through a hardship or you're struggling with temptation. You need to get on your face before God. Maybe you're in here and, and you just have been believing lies about yourself, about life. You haven't been understanding the truths of God and who he is and what he's made you to be. You need to get on your face before God. Or maybe you're in here and you have not been obeying his commandments. You have not been active in ministry and being used by God in a spirit-empowered, supernatural way. You need to get on your face before God. So on the count of three, I'm going to invite you to come out of your seat. Let's find a place up at these altars. If we, if we fill the altars, we'll go in the aisles. And let's just get on our face before God. Let's worship God. And let's go after him. And here's my challenge to you. Don't pursue him idly. Don't just come up here and hope something happens. You go after him this morning. You go after him and pursue him like there's no other alternative. And I know that the presence of God will fill you and minister you today. So if that's you in this place, just get out of your seat and let's find a spot. One, two, three. Let's fill these altars this morning. guys come we're going to have some some people that are going to surround you in prayer and we're just going to believe for the holy spirit to minister to your life to fill you in a new way so let's just go after him and we're going to come and lay hands on you and pray for you and believe that the spirit of god is going to move